this time's made me reflect on that and realize that I can still do all that sort of stuff, but not at the expense of my physical, mental health and of my family as well. That again, coming back to that saying no to drawing a line in the sand and saying this is this is what I can go do and this is what I can give you. Um, because I have to give to myself and I have to give to my family because what's the point otherwise, you know? This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. For many, the pandemic has reshuffled the deck in regards to how we live our lives, the careers we've forged and what truly matters. But some were already adapting and changing their roles due to personal experiences that had them foreseeing the winds of change already. With many in the industry questioning the personal costs of their commitment to their careers, what does a career in hospitality look like moving forward? Martin O'Connor is one of Adelaide's most respected general managers and award-winning front-of-house professional. Martin, how are you going? I'm good, Anthony. How are you, mate? I'm good. Now, you've had a pretty turbulent year and... Um, the winds of change actually started for you before the pandemic. Can you tell us a bit about that time? Yeah, sure. It was um, mid-January-ish. Um, I was uh, managing in a, a large venue um, and my wife became quite ill um, and it kept happening um, and more repeatedly and we were very concerned and went to hospitals and got tests done, but nobody could seem to find out what the problem was and it was ongoing and um, I just could not focus on the job at hand because we, I had to look after my wife so I approached the general manager there and um, I had to stand down from that role to look after my wife um, which was a very nerve-wracking six weeks um, so um, we were in and out of hospitals for quite some time getting the tests done and she was uh, very ill at home in bed and um, lots of vomiting and things were occurring and other such things and we finally um, did get a confirmation on what it was and it was um, it was stomach related issues but they couldn't pin it down to anything but it finally was recorded as as a stress induced thing because our uh, <clears throat> our middle daughter was about 6 months pregnant as well um so she was very concerned about a lot of things and other family issues that were on her plate um and it just took its toll on her and um yeah it just took its time after that with medication and Lots of rest, and she, her employers are really good, and she took a lot of time off. Um, and she's back now working full time, and she's in good health. So that's uh, that's a huge relief for me, absolutely. The circumstances changed your role within the industry, and uh, you moved to a more casual sort of employment uh, situation in order to adapt to those circumstances. And at that time, the pandemic landed as well. What was what was it like for you? Um, I got to be, I got to be honest with you, Anthony, it fucking scared the shit out of me, <laughs> excuse my language, but, um, it was, it was, it was like, you know, we started, you know, my wife was quite sick. I'd stood down from that full-time role. Our daughter was six months pregnant. You know, there weren't any real issues with, with the pregnancy, but you know, obviously as grandparents we were, you know, you worry and all that sort of stuff, plus all that going on. So like I said, I, I stood down from that stressful role and I took on a, a casual position, um, and, 
uh, was just working as a waiter so that I could be more available for my wife and for my family. Um, and I think I've stated it before, but the you know there were rumblings of the virus, obviously globally and, and and nationally, it was starting to to make an effect. But you know, the no real shutdowns or anything had happened. But I think it was um, around the early March period, the Tasting Australia announcement came out that it got cancelled, um, and I was just on a break, I was doing a double that day, and uh, I was eating a sandwich and just, you know, scrolling through social media as you do, because it was a nice day in the park, and yeah, that kind of freaked me out, and then a journal I know sent me a message that they were waiting on a announcement from Scott Morrison about a, you know, not doing anything over 500 people, and you know that just took the wind out of me, and I went back into the the restaurant, and yeah, everybody sort of heard the news, and we were all pretty freaked out, and lots of meetings were held by the the the, the owners and the senior management, um, just how that was going to affect everything, and obviously I think you know the panic set in 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 the general public, um, and you know a lot of events were cancelled, restaurant booking started to drop, all that sort of thing. Um, and then it escalated into the, the lockdowns that we saw ha- happen after that. Um, the place I was working for were really good. They did a, a farewell lunch, got us all together, you know, um, were talking about how they were going to redesign their business model into takeaway and delivery service to get through and keep people employed and all that sort of stuff. And that's before JobKeeper and all that sort of stuff had come out. So, you know, a lot of businesses were sort of wondering what they could do or how they were going to survive because nobody knew how long lockdowns were going to go for you know it's easy to look back at it now but at the time it was quite quite a scary time really so (laughs) it was on top of all the other things that I was going through um yeah I was I was pretty fucking devastated to be honest yeah you're used to running venues and award-winning venues and being in control and orchestrating all of that and you're in circumstances where you're in casual employment and you know, working for businesses that were forced into takeaway. I think at one stage you're even um, delivering food. What, what was it like in that situation? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously it's a t- completely different. Um, it wasn't a position I'd ever thought I'd see myself in at this age of life and in the stage of my career. But you know, it's just uh, you got to adapt and you got to do what you got to do. You know, and sort of keep money coming in the door and and for my own sanity because if I, I I'm one of those people that need to be doing I guess it's an industry thing I need to be doing stuff all the time <laughs> so um, you know they offered me some uh, shifts doing delivery work because that's what pretty much all that was on the cards because the restaurants were closed and um, and then I manned the uh, in between doing that I'd help because they had takeaway um, like uh, wine sales there because they had a bottle shop license as well so you know that was kind of cool it was um, it was something different I'd never done any delivery driving I'd be honest it freaked me out at first because I had to use GPS to find places and I'm ter- <laughs> I, I, am, I am absolutely bloody hopeless with directions like if you say north I have no idea where that is so you know I was relying on my phone trying to find places and yeah it was it was uh, it was pretty weird but I kind of enjoyed it in a strange way too it was um because like the at that time while I was doing it, the roads were dead, so that you know traffic wasn't really an issue. So it was kind of eerie at the same time, you know. It was, um, but all the people that I delivered food and wine and everything to were just so lovely because you know there were laws in place. We had to just drop things down, and they had to pick it up, and we had to keep a distance. And 
they had to, you know, we had to record their um, details and all that sort of stuff. So everyone that I, I dealt with personally were really good in the general public about it. But for me, yeah, obviously it was a really strange time, but um, I actually really enjoyed it on a different level as well. You've um, had an extraordinary career with the front of house. How are you feeling about the industry at the moment and, you know, your role and um, people who work in front of house given what's just happened? Um, I think it's I think it's still uh, a very uncertain times about what what's going to happen moving forward in this issue. Um, for myself personally, like I think I reached the pinnacles of what I can do in the restaurant industry, um, and then as I said, I wanted to move into something that was more less restaurant based, obviously because I'm older and my back and legs aren't what they used to be. Um, <laughs> But, you know, um, it's kind of one of those things where I've been doing it since I was 20, so I'm 52 in a few days, so it's 32 years I've been doing restaurants, um, and I love it, and I, you know, I'd never have stayed that long in an industry if I didn't love it. There are a lot of downsides, but there are with a lot of industries. I think there was a lot of problems with the restaurant industry before the virus hit, um, you know, the, the work-life balance, the the profit margins, all that sort of stuff, stuff, government regulations, you know, uh, to a point that, you know, there's a lot of people who do the right thing, but also there's a lot of people who don't do the right thing, which makes, leaves, it leaves a, a, a stain on, on, on the people who do the right thing. And I mean that by the staff as well, you know, that it's an industry that we all love, um, but I think a lot of th we've taken a lot of things on board that we shouldn't have to in the name of customer service as well. Um, you know, like no-shows, people being abusive, that sort of stuff. Um, when people are just trying to provide uh, a service to people, um, you know, good food, wine, good, good service, good time. Um, and I think a lot of pressures have been put on people that shouldn't have to be put on, um, you know, and I think... That's something that's starting to change now, I'm noticing. I've been out a few times dining since uh, the laws have been relaxed in South Australia. Um, and everyone I've seen is doing the right thing. Everyone's cool, you know. Um, I've had a few blowbacks from different restaurants about still people doing no-shows, but people have really clamped, restaurants have clamped down on that now. You know, there's people doing ticketing things. You have to pay a certain amount Um to get the booking, the credit credit cards, all that sort of stuff, deposits, which, you know, I think a lot of people were wary of doing beforehand because, you know, people had the choice of just going to book in restaurants where they didn't take deposits. But look, there's, there's, no, there's no other industry where you don't book something and you don't pay, either buy a ticket or pay in advance or pay a deposit, you know, and I think, I don't think that's too much to ask for. So that, you know, if you, if you lose tables on a, on a, you know, you're busier nights, and you don't have time to, to, to refill them because the people just don't show up and won't answer their phones, then that's just unacceptable behaviour. Um, and, you know, I think it's a two-way street. The, the public need to be educated about what what that does to restaurants when they do no-show. Um, but I, th I think a lot of people are still being positive about the restaurant industry that, that, you know, that I know and that I speak to both in Adelaide and people I know in Melbourne and Sydney. Um, I think there's a lot of issues we want to, uh, that need to be addressed that we're going, we want to do as we go along. And once, you know, 
things are a little bit more certain and I think that's about the the work-life balance and the um, you know the costs of um, mental health issues around the stress involved in working in an industry where you know it can it can take a lot out of you both mentally and physical uh, psychologically um, you know the re- really long hours the weekends the time away from your family um, you know that sort of stuff even your days off you still you still you know if you're in a senior role you still get emails phone calls text messages you know things that always have to be dealt with so it's hard to switch off um, you know and I think that's made people reevaluate what they really think is more important in their lives you know and a lot of people have started their own businesses they're doing catering things they're they're cooking things or what things they want to cook you know uh, front of house people have have moved into other things that are they're passionate about like wine making and um, wine studies that sort of stuff they're moving into other service industries um, the ones that are career based are really looking for I think a little bit more respect's probably the best way to put it, um, and that's from everyone involved in the industry. I think um, the front of house get overlooked quite a lot, and I, you know, I don't think that that's a healthy thing. I think it's a, a team thing. It's a it's kitchen and front of house, and I'm not saying anything against kitchens because the chefs work bloody hard as well, and they get crushed, and they're ju- they're just as you know, stressed and um, uh, worn out as everybody else in the industry. So it's not a front of house kitchen thing. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is I just think um, the front of house people are, you know, the ones that are dealing with the customers and, and, and you know, I think it it takes a toll on people having to give and be that generous and that, happy and switched on all the time that they really need that kind of break where they can just be themselves um not that they don't enjoy doing it or it's not something that's not genuine because i don't think that's correct it's more about yeah just having that time to yourself and i think you know there's restaurants that are doing it they're download down downgrading their trading hours and giving people more days off and um i think a lot of um Owners in particular are starting to realise that, that the staff are your main asset and they're starting to invest more in time and training and, and, and you know, um, work-life balance, especially people with families and, you know, what, 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 what can be done to improve going forward after, after we get a bit more clarity, especially with Victoria and New South Wales at the moment. So, yeah, I, th- I, th- I, th- I'm, I always like to be optimistic, Andrew. But yeah, like I said, there was problems before the virus. This has just highlighted a lot of them, and and it's also given us new new ones to deal with. Um, but I think, you know, the the general feedback I'm getting from everybody and the input they're putting into the 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 problems that were there and the new ones that are here now, I think a lot of the the restaurant industry are committed to to, to positive change. You know, so I don't want to come across as sounding too negative either. You mentioned uh, mental health issues for people in the industry, and um, particularly also front of house that with so much to manage and the perceptions of diners to manage, not only doing their own job. What's some of the things that um, you've seen over the years um, in regards to um, issues that people in the industry face? Um, 
I think it's like a, a lot of it's about, you know, I'm I'm from a different generation, so I kind of, <laughs> it was it was something that was just done back in the late 80s and early 90s, you know, you worked a million hours and you were used to that kind of thing, it was just sort of how things were done and that's how I was brought up doing it. Um, but then as I got older, you know, I just started to, and I learned a lot from the younger people coming through. Um, and then about the older people like myself and chefs who've been around for a long time, we all started to question, you know, there's better ways to do things and, you know, that it can be quite exhausting doing what we do. We love to give and we love to look after people and we want to give people that experience and that, that environment where they can come and, um, you know, have fun and 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 just forget about life for a couple of hours as well you know and that's 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 one of the most rewarding things about it for me is that we can we can do that for people um but as i said i think the the long hours the time away from people's friends and families the weekends um you know that does take its toll and and a lot of people um I think can find being so switched on all the time can take its toll psychologically um, so that we really need to find ways where people can switch off and look after people more, you know. I think that's probably the most paramount thing. Um, how we go about doing that, I think, you know, it's there's a lot of ways that we can look after each other and I think that's already happening, you know, online with... Um, lots of uh, different psychological counselling and things within an industry that people do. But um, I think it's upon ourselves to look after ourselves um, instead of asking other people to fix things for us. I think it's a time now for the industry to fix itself. And that means the owners, the chefs, the front of house, everybody, you know, and, you know, lobbying the government about uh, their regulations and all that sort of stuff needs to be addressed and looked into. So it's not an easy fix. But, um, you know, I think learning learning to say no is a good thing, <laughs> if you're with me. Um, I've, 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 and I mean this as people who are in the industry to, to just say, I can only give this much to my job and I need to have this amount of time for myself and for my family. And when I'm at my job, I will give you 100% of what I got, but i got to be able to have my own time and switch off as well. You know, I think that's important. And I think employers um, need to respect that as well. And I think a lot of them are, you know, because they're realising that if it's the... if staff again are the most important thing the chefs and the front of house and we've got to take care of ourselves because um, if we don't we won't have any you know there won't be many restaurants left how did you get started in the industry what what drew you in uh well it was actually quite a bit of an accident to be honest <laughs> i never looked at it and went oh wow i want to be a waiter and a restaurant manager um i kind of left high school and was a bit aimless um I, I attended a few uh, orientation things at uni about journalism to be, because I was kind of enamoured with Ernest Hemingway at the time and uh, how he he went to Europe and freelanced after he you know got his journalism degree and all that sort of stuff. Um, and when you're that young, it was kind of this um, romantic idea of you know living in poverty and 
writing freelance work and writing a book or whatever. And but then I went to a few of the lectures, and yeah, I've got a bit of a short attention span, so the <laughs> reality of that kind of went. Yeah, I was like, I was just staring out the window most of the time. Um, a friend of mine who worked in a cafe said, "Look, you know, if you're looking for some." earning some money you can come and work at this cafe that I know and I went and did that even though I said I didn't have no idea how to do anything I said don't worry we'll, we'll show you the ropes and they were really helpful um, and I found that I really enjoyed doing it and I just you know really enjoyed talking to people and serving people and looking after people it was really good fun um, so I went and did a course that was a bit more involved it was a four-month um, sort of uh, management and fine dining sort of course back in the day that was like 91 so I'm going way back um, and the we went into a few different larger hotels and one of the hotel managers sort of I don't know he must have saw something that I didn't see and he offered me a job <laughs> which I was quite surprised again again like I said I just I was I was just finding my way through and didn't really know that I wanted to do this so I took on the job but it was in a banqueting department um, you know doing like three four hundred people in big events and that sort of stuff and um, you know I mean those things are important but I found it quite that high volume thing a little bit soul destroying it wasn't really what I had in mind but then again then the the restaurant manager they had a fine dining room downstairs again he must have saw something that I didn't see and he approached me about coming down and doing a few shifts there and um, I've stated this before in interviews I um, I did a trial shift down there and I just essentially shadowed one of the head waiters and you know it was back in the day of um, flambéing at tables and white gloves and all the you know all that silver service stuff and it was so super cool and you know you know ironing linen and um, all that sort of stuff and just watching the intensity and the passion of the kitchen and just the precise way that everything was done um, it was just really intoxicating for me and yeah I just um, let the banquet manager know that I was going to move downstairs and the rest was history I was just I was I was uh, I was 100% in after that yeah you've been involved in many uh, restaurants and and projects and won awards what, what's been some of the highlights and favorite projects you've been involved in um, there's been a lot. I really enjoyed the McGill Estate restaurant after the refurb when it got shut down and, and reopened in August, I think it was late August 2013, it opened to the public, um, you know, and in the first 12 months, um, we, we were shocked as anybody that we got number 10 in Gourmet Traveller, um, we were expecting, you know, maybe 40 or 50 or something like that. Um, so the, the work put in, and it was great because none of the people there had ever worked together before. All the kitchen team didn't know each other. Um, none of the front of house knew each other. Um, so it was a really exciting, stressful, exhausting, but bonding time that, that brought us all together and we achieved some great stuff. And that, that, that one always stays with me. You know, it was, it was, um... You know, that was under the scrutiny of the, the, the media and the spotlight of the rest of the, the country, I think, at the time. So, you know, we all had that on, on our shoulders. Um, and to get those results, that was very, very satisfying for me personally. 
Um, um, and then when I sort of moved away and I did a bit of consultancy work because I'd sort of done as much restaurant managing as I felt like doing at the time, <coughs> I helped out. <laughs> I, well, I sort of, like, I didn't want to not do it anymore, but it was kind of like, that was like the pinnacle for me. That's That was a goal that I wanted to achieve, um, to, to, to be involved in a restaurant that could do that. Because um, in my mind, it, it, even though it had been around for a long time, after the refurb, it was, you know, I, I think... I considered it and many others did as a brand new restaurant. Um, so to be able to, to do all that sort of stuff, that felt, that was very rewarding and I just felt like a, it was a new challenge. So I helped out at uh, Appalachian in the Barossa Valley. I know the owner there quite well um, and, you know, just got on board with some of the ideas to help them what they're doing now and they've refurbed the whole place and they've got a separate bar area that's really kicking goals and that's doing great things for for, for the Barossa Valley. Um, Another one that really was quite satisfying for me was Hardy's Veranda Restaurant at uh, Mount Lofty House. So I was approached to come on board before the official opening because they were doing a soft opening just for hotel guests Um, and they got me on board I was there for about four months you know um, assisting with all the design and napery and uniforms and cutlery and glassware and and uh, getting people on board so we got the sommelier and restaurant manager involved and you know that was received really well critically as well and the they have they are just doing really really good things at the moment so that was quite satisfying for me and then obviously the cube restaurant you know I was approached to come when that was still just an empty shell before it opened to the public um and getting a guided tour of that was while it was like an empty building I think the only thing complete at that stage was the level five tasting bar and, and the kitchen um so I was kind of getting walked around with a hard hat on and, and wearing high-vis jackets and getting getting explained how everything was going to work. And it was kind of like the kitchen was on level two and the the uh, restaurant was on level three. So it was all getting it done by dumb waiters. Um, so I was kind of like, what the hell? How are you going to get this to work? <laughs> Especially on a fine dining level, you know, like 10, 11 courses. I was just like, you know, I just couldn't get my head around it. So... I said, like, leave it with me. I have to process this for a few days. And and I spoke with the chefs involved that, that you know, and their, their concept and philosophy of what they wanted to do. And I think we were both on the same page. Um, so I worked with, uh, I, I got on board and worked with them closely and obviously with the owners uh, there about how we were going to get things done. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it worked out really well and it's just unfortunate, you know, with the COVID that they had to shut it down. But I think, again, in the two years that it was open, it did achieve, um, you know, a lot of things that we probably didn't think were going to happen. Um, um, and I don't just mean awards and accolades. I mean, what the numbers that we managed to end up doing um, per service period plus plus the the response from the general public both local interstate and overseas was overwhelming and that was just so gratifying for us that was the main thing for us that that the everything we devised uh, to make it work delivered an experience that just blew people away and that that's you know if you can get a chance ever in your career to be involved in an experience like that you know money's money money's great and so are awards but that nothing can really replace that feeling i don't think you talk about uh, making people's night and giving them an amazing experience in restaurants 
What does it take from the front of house team to deliver that for people? Um, I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. Um, the first thing I, I always think about this, and I don't think it's so true anymore, but it is a skill that's involved as part of the whole package, is back in the day it used to be the main skill set of a waiter was to be invisible, like things just happened at a table and you didn't really notice them. Um, your wine was always topped up, your waters was always topped up, you know, without being felt that you were being intruded upon it just sort of happened around you um that sort of thing um and i still think that's very important but now you know you've got to mix it up with all the other stuff which is because people i don't think want that sort of um formality anymore i think there's the the room for the humour and personality to come out. That's what people want. They, they want a fun experience as well as spot-on service, you know. So it's a combination of, of having your staff trained to know how to do all that sort of thing, when to um, engage with people and when to know when to step back as well and what sort of intensity you're going to bring to different tables because different people are going to want different kinds of service so it's about reading customers you know body language that sort of stuff you can really pick up on that so it's getting people to notice all those details just not about their guests but about everything that's going on around them within their own sections and the restaurant as a whole and that's important about how you train people to be able to I know it sounds fundamental, but carrying plates, setting cutlery and glassware, you know, swiftly, correctly and in and out without interfering with guests who, you know, are probably in the middle of a conversation because you have to pick up on that stuff as well. They could be having a business dinner or a romantic night out, who knows, you know, and you can, that's the skill set is being able to pick up on people in a really quick quick time frame, you know, and, and realising what it is they want from their experience and then being able to, to deliver that to them, you know. Um, and I think if you can do it with, with personality, with, with good humour, that's that's what you really need to focus on. And your product knowledge, obviously, you've got to have that. All of those things are important. They You know, you can't just do things and not know what you're talking about. I've never been a fan of people just making stuff up or... You know, I have to go and ask my I have to go and ask my manager. <laughs> oh, let me ask the chef. You know that sort of stuff. So that's about teams working together. You know, and knowing exactly what it is that they're delivering to their guests, whether it's in a cafe or a fine dining room. I've always been adamant about that. That you know, it doesn't matter what level you're doing things at. You you have to be spot on about what it is. Not just what it is, but who you are as well. You know what are you and what are you delivering to people and what are you trying to say both through your food and your service you know so i think that's that's important and you get that vibe when you walk into a restaurant um of a team that that have got all of those things spot on you know you can just feel it in the room it's it's a it's a fun environment you feel it you just it's hard to put into words um i think if there's you know things missing or there's you know, conflicts or there's people who are unsure of what they're doing, you pick up on that and it, it feeds into the room, you know what I mean? It's, um, I'm sure you're aware of that, you've, you've been in a lot of restaurants, so um, it's, it, it's, it's about, and it's about having fun, you know, you've you, you got to train people and you've got to do whatever, but you've got to 
treat people with mutual respect and everyone's got something to bring to the table, whether they're a food runner, a junior waiter, a head waiter, a supervisor, or a manager, you know, a chef to party or a head chef, sous chefs, whatever. Everyone's got a role, everyone's got a voice and everyone's important, you know, and you've got to be there for each other because that's what it's all about. And if, 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 if you don't have that, you don't, you're not going to have a... A product that's going to deliver to to the customers that's real, and the the you know the bottom line of that is it's good for your business because they're going to come back, you know, and it's healthy for your staff because you have a fun environment to work in. You've had some uh, challenging personal experiences during this time, but you've also become a grandfather mm. for the first time. What's that like? <laughs> I actually I'm laughing because I thought I was going to hate it. <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, dude, I'm only 51. I don't want to be a grandpa yet. No, no, this isn't supposed to happen for another five or six years or something like that. Then, then you know, once it got, got past my own van- vanity, I suppose it was just like, um, yeah, it was it was kind of nerve wracking and, and anxious, and you know, that worrying stuff all over again and. Uh, that you have from your kids in the first place and you know and because they're your kids you you worry even more <laughs> about how everything's going to go and are they okay but you know it's just been great that I had that time to be able to be there for both my wife and for my daughter and her partner as well um and we got the call I think it was like seven or eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday that the birth happened and it was like, it's not going to be mad rush, but we went up to the house, uh, their place in the Adelaide Hills, because we were going to look after things, because they were going to be there for three or four days. And it was like 10 minutes after we got to the house, the hospital called us and said, the birth's already happened. It just happened. We weren't expecting it to happen that quick, that, that quickly. So we just dumped, we just dumped our bags and scooted straight off to the hospital um, and because of the, the COVID things if you can only have a certain amount of people in a room obviously we, we were waiting out in the waiting room just sort of like quite impatient and freaking out <laughs> and you know we, we had obviously had to let our daughter recover and all that sort of stuff but then you know when I walked into the room and there he was it was just like man this is awesome you know this is this is this is what it's about you know it uh, um and I got to hold him, I think it was probably about half an hour later, once the the midwives and everything and all the gave us the A-OK, because I'd gotten all my, my vaccination shots and everything, so I was good. Um, and the little guy just just stared at me and then just, then he started crying and I just, I started crying too. And it was just, yeah, it was, it's, there isn't a moment that I could say that was better than that. It was just amazing. It really was. When you look back at this period of time in our lives, how are you? How are you going to remember it? Uh, <laughs> that's a hard one, isn't it? Um, I think I'm going to look at it as something that's good. I hope. Um, personally, it's been good. It's been bad as well. I've been went through a lot of rough stuff, as we've already covered. But that's made me grow so much as a person now and, and, and how much more I want to be involved with my family and how important they they are to me. Even, you know, they always were and they I just wasn't there for their birthdays as much and the anniversaries and just family gatherings and all the stuff I missed out on by, 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 by working so many hours because 
nobody made me. It's what I wanted to do. It's what I loved. My wife understands that. Um, and once I'm involved, once I'm involved in something, I'm in. I'm I'm a hundred percent, and I, I, I just keep going until you know, it gets to a level that I'm happy with it being at. Um, but now this time's made me reflect on that and realise that I can still do all that sort of stuff, but not at the expense of my physical, mental health and at my family as well. That again, coming back that, to that saying no to drawing a line in the sand and saying this is this is what I can go do and this is what I can give you, um, because I have to give to myself and I have to give to my family. Because what's the point otherwise? You know. Um, you're not going to be able to give to your job if you can't be able to recharge and he- be happy in your personal life as well. So I, l- I like to think, looking back at this time, and this is already sort of happening now because we're opening up faster in Adelaide than than obviously Victoria and New South Wales, um, but it's um, it's been a it's been a a devastating time for a lot of people. A lot of people. Um, are still unemployed and you know there's 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 you know because of interstate and overseas travel a lot of inter- uh, restaurants and hotels rely on that so the you know a lot of people still aren't re-employed and it's been devastating for them in that regard and psychologically the effects of being unemployed and what that does to people um, and you know that uncertainty but I think a lot of people are coming through that with the support of all these different networks like the not just the podcast you guys are doing but a lot of work that Danny's doing and all that sort of stuff and there's a lot of um, chefs that have started you know support groups and people speaking to each other and everyone you know started group chats and there's different hospitality pages now where people all just connect with each other and and really just help support each other out and I think that's really 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 healthy um, and positive and that people are starting to focus on those things now and, and less on the negatives even though they're all still there so that that I, I think uh, if I could put it in a sentence, I think this is going to be the time that we remembered that changed things for the better. Well, that's beautifully put. Uh, Martin, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Uh, keep in touch and um, look forward to hearing from you down the track later in the year. Um, we'll speak to you soon. All right, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me on, mate. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.